turn in the Holy Scriptures to Matthew chapter 14. We will read together verses 1 through 21. Our text will be verse 14. Matthew chapter 14. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard of the fame of Jesus and said unto his servants, This is John the Baptist. He is risen from the dead, and therefore mighty works do show forth themselves in him. For Herod had laid hold on John and bound him and put him in prison for Herodias' sake, his brother, Philip's wife. For John said unto him, It is not lawful for thee to have her. And when he would have put him to death, he feared the multitude because they counted him as a prophet. But when Herod's birthday was kept, the daughter of Herodias danced before them and pleased Herod, whereupon he promised with an oath to give her whatsoever she would ask. And she, being before instructed of her mother, said, Give me here John Baptist's head in a charger. And the king was sorry, nevertheless, for the oath's sake, and them which sat with him at meat, he commanded it to be given her. And he sent and beheaded John in the prison. And his head was brought in a charger and given to the damsel, and she brought it to her mother. And his disciples came and took up the body and buried it and went and told Jesus. And when Jesus heard of it, He departed thence by ship into a desert place apart. And when the people had heard thereof, they followed him on foot out of the cities. And Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion toward them, and he healed their sick. And when it was evening, his disciples came to him, saying, This is a desert place, and the time is now past. Send the multitude away, that they may go into the villages and buy themselves victuals. But Jesus said unto them, They need not depart. Give ye them to eat. And they say unto him, We have here but five loaves and two fishes. He said, Bring them hither to me. And he commanded the multitude to sit down on the grass, and took the five loaves and the two fishes, and looking up to heaven, he blessed and brake, and gave the loaves to his disciples, and the disciples to the multitude. And they did all eat and were filled, and they took up of the fragments that remained twelve baskets full. And they that had eaten were about five thousand men, beside women and children. Thus far we read in the Holy Scriptures. Call your attention to verse 14. And Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion toward them, and he healed their sick. Beloved in the Lord, Matthew 14 sets before us one of Jesus' most famous miracles, a very spectacular miracle, his feeding of the 5,000, miracle that is very extraordinary. In fact, it's recorded in all four of the Gospels. It's a miracle that shows the divinity of Christ, his power, that no Ordinary man has. 
It's a miracle that displays the care of Christ. The care of Christ for His people physically, for their bodies. He is the one who provides the needs of His people down to their daily bread. It also sets before us the all-sufficiency of Christ to meet every need of His people. For His people live not by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Christ is the good shepherd of the sheep who perfectly attends to the needs of His flock. So when we read Matthew 14, our attention naturally goes to that extraordinary miracle in the last part of the reading that we Read a moment ago. But that's not what we're going to focus on tonight, though we'll refer to it a couple of times. We're going to focus on verse 14. A verse describing a circumstance that was the occasion for the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. A verse that's very easy to overlook, and yet a verse... That is so very meaningful and beautiful. And sheds light on the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. Because it lets us see into the heart of Jesus Christ. As he performs this miracle. And as he teaches the people that came to him in the wilderness. What we see in verse 14 is the heart of the great shepherd of the sheep. His heart Toward his people. And in the heart of Christ. There is. Compassion. The depths of which. We cannot fathom. And that is a truly. Beautiful. And consoling. And heartwarming. And comforting truth for us to meditate upon tonight. The compassion. Of our Savior. For us poor, weak, foolish, problem-laden sinners. We see how Christ sees us here. How he's moved at the sight of our troubles. And he gives himself to help and to heal us. That was what his whole ministry was. That's what the cross was. In his compassion, he saves unworthy, weak, sinful people like you and me. And there's a beautiful application and connection then to the ordination of office bearers that we've had tonight. Jesus is the great shepherd of the sheep. He is the master. And he is pleased to minister to his sheep throughout the New Testament age through under-shepherds that he calls and places in the church and whom he is pleased to use, to feed, to assist, to help, to minister to his sheep. And his servants, his under-shepherds, are to be like the master. The ministry of the office bearers in the church, ought to mirror the ministry of the master. The ministry of the master was a ministry of compassion. We're going to focus on that idea for a little while this evening. A ministry of compassion. 
First, we'll look at the master himself. Then we will apply it to his servants. And then we will end with a few more broad applications to all of his people. The history recorded in Matthew 14 sets before us the master in the midst of his ministry. That's what we see here. Jesus is busy in his earthly ministry. He will go to the cross. He is on his way to the cross throughout his whole earthly ministry. He is looking at the cross. But it's not only the cross that is significant. Jesus' entire earthly life is a ministry service to us, his people. And that's what we see him doing here. Serving his people as the great shepherd of the sheep. One thing that stands out in Matthew 14 as we've read through this passage is the humanity of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we see that here in the way that he separates himself from the multitude for a time and retreats into the desert desiring rest from his labors. Verse 13 of Matthew 14 says that Jesus departed thence by ship into a desert place. Parallel passage in Luke 9 verse 10 says that Jesus took them, took his disciples, and went aside privately, privately, to be alone, into a desert place. Jesus leaves whatever city or village he was in, and he goes likely north east across part of the Sea of Galilee to a desert location outside of a city called Bethsaida. A desert place, the text says. That is an uninhabited place. A place of quiet in the wilderness away from people. Why does Jesus do this? Well, Matthew, and particularly the parallel account in Mark, explain why. Verse 13 begins this way, Matthew 14, verse 13, when Jesus heard of it, and that refers back to the first part of Matthew 14, Jesus heard about the death of John the Baptist. And here we see our Lord's humanity too, he's grieved. John, the last and greatest of the Old Testament prophets, the forerunner of his own ministry, has been persecuted and put to death by the wicked King Herod. Jesus is not unmoved by this news, he's grieved deeply. Our Lord, our Master, is touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Think about the shortest verse in the Bible. You children know the shortest verse in the Bible, don't you? In John 11, Jesus wept. And that short verse is very deep. It shows us the humanity of Christ. It shows us his compassion for his people in their suffering. Jesus wept as he stood outside the tomb of Lazarus. And as he saw the sadness of Mary and Martha, he wept. He felt for them. Jesus had compassion. He was a real man. And so Jesus needed some time alone with his disciples. So he goes into the wilderness in response to hearing of John the Baptist's death. But now Mark, Mark 6 verse 31, gives us another important reason. In fact, we might say it's the main reason. If we look at the parallel account in Mark 6 verse 31, and he... Jesus said unto them, Come ye yourselves apart into a desert place and rest a while. And rest a while. Jesus sought physical rest. Why? 
Well, the rest of the verse explains. For there were many coming and going, and they had no leisure so much as to eat. That's how busy Jesus was in his ministry. At this point, he was very popular among the people. People were constantly coming to hear him teach. They constantly came to him asking for the help, asking for him to heal their sick, asking for him to help them in their needs. People were coming, people were going. Jesus and his disciples had no leisure time. In fact, they were so busy in the work of the ministry that they barely found time to sit down and eat. To put it very simply, Jesus was tired. He got tired, even to the point of exhaustion. The master is the son of God. Yes, he is God in the flesh. In the flesh. Flesh that is like our flesh. Flesh that gets weak. Flesh that gets tired. Flesh that needs rest. Christ was on the point of being overworked, drained physically and emotionally. He needed to take some time. To rest. And so weighed down by grief over John the Baptist's death and wanting some time alone with his disciples to rest from his labors, Jesus tells his disciples to privately get into a boat to set sail to a desert place. But as we've read in the history, that plan for a time of rest and refreshment was interrupted by the people who would not let Jesus go, but who even pursued him into the desert. Verse 13 of Matthew 14. When the people had heard thereof, they followed him on foot out of the cities. Mark 6 verse 32 tells us that although Jesus departed privately, the people some of them at least, still saw him set sail. And somehow word got out where he was going. And the people wanted to be with Jesus. They wanted to hear Jesus so much that they went on foot. And they went around the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And you can imagine this crowd of people growing larger and larger as they traveled through village after village, collecting more and more people until they were 5,000 men strong. Many men who brought their families with them their wives and their children, and so this crowd swelled likely to at least 10,000 strong. And it goes into the wilderness, seeking Jesus, who's looking for a little rest with his disciples. Their boat hits the northern shore, the Sea of Galilee. Peter and the others quickly moor the boat They disembark. Our text says, verse 14, Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude. The people were there coming to him, needing him, desiring him, seeking him. No rest for the weary, you might say. But now, how Jesus handles this situation, how he handles 
This multitude of people that have come to him in the wilderness as he is trying to retreat for a time of rest tells us so much about him and about his ministry and sets before us the compassionate Savior whose ministry was a ministry of compassion. What is Jesus' response? What does our text say? As he goes forth and he sees this multitude, He was moved with compassion toward them. And he healed their sick. From a human perspective, Jesus' response is surprising. Especially when we think about what we might have done if we were in his shoes. A tremendous sigh. Oh no. Here we go again. Can't I get away? I just need a little bit of rest. And here they are again. That wasn't his response. His response is heartwarming. Heartwarming. He's moved with compassion. The parallel text in Luke 9 verse 11 says Jesus received them. And that word received there also can be translated welcomed them. He didn't grudgingly fine, I'll I'll spend more time with you. He welcomed them into his presence. There's the heart of Jesus. And large in the heart of our Savior Large in the heart of our master. Standing behind all that he did in his ministry and in his work on behalf of his people. Is this wonderful word, compassion, which means so much. Compassion. What is compassion? What does it mean to be compassionate? To try to put it very simply, compassion is true love's reaction to another's suffering. Compassion is true love's reaction and response to another's suffering or hardship. It's a deep feeling. And that comes out in the Greek word here, moved with compassion, is one word in the original tongue. And it it describes the Deep feeling one has down in his or her gut. Something that's gut-wrenching. A phrase that we use in our language today is, My heart goes out to you. The Hebrews viewed the, the bowels to be the seat of emotion. And so compassion is described as a deep feeling of movement deep down inside of you. A gut-wrenching feeling. That's the kind of compassion Jesus had. It's the opposite of cold indifference. It's the opposite of cold disinterest. It's the opposite of annoyance at being bothered by these troublesome people and all of their problems. He sees them. And as Mark 34, or rather Mark 6 verse 34 tells us, he sees them and has compassion upon them because he recognizes they're as sheep without a shepherd. They were needy sheep. They were sheep. Many of them in that crowd were God's elect. Beloved of God. And they were without a shepherd. 
The leaders of Israel had forsaken them. They didn't care about the common people. They, these sheep were uncared for. They were unfed. They were confused. They were hungry. And that's why they're coming to Christ. Because he taught as one who had authority, not as the scribes and the Pharisees. And no doubt they sensed more in him. Where the scribes and the Pharisees, the leaders of Israel, looked down on them with scorn. Jesus is one who is moved with compassion. Compassion. Love's reaction to another's suffering. A deep feeling of sympathy. But now, that compassion, that reaction of love to another's suffering is not merely a feeling. It's a feeling that leads to action. It's a feeling that leads to helping. Jesus' parable of the Good Samaritan shows us this in a very vivid way. You know that parable well. The man who is ambushed by robbers and left half dead on the side of the road, suffering, brutalized, bloody, beaten. And the leaders of Israel come by, Levite, the priest. They don't want to be bothered with that. Cold indifference disinterest and they give him a wide berth but then the the Samaritan comes and in the parable we read when that Samaritan sees that poor man lying on the side of the road he has compassion love reacts to the suffering of another and love which wants to do good to the one that you love love takes action and tries to help and helps even at one's own expense what does that Samaritan do? he takes his own wine he takes his own oil to soothe the wounds of this man he binds this man's wounds up in cloth he sets this man on his own donkey and he leads leads him the rest of the way to an inn and there He commits this wounded man to the innkeeper and promises to pay however much it costs for this man to stay there. Compassion loves reaction to the suffering of another and that love then takes action and gives of itself to try to help, to relieve, or to comfort the other in their suffering and in their trouble. Even if it requires one to spend much of themselves. And that's what Jesus is doing here, isn't it? All he wanted was a little rest. He had been busy. He could barely sit down and eat with his disciples. So he goes out into the desert and the people follow him. And rather than being frustrated, rather than being annoyed, rather than sending them away like he could have done, in love for his people, he gave yet more of himself. The text says he healed their sick. The parallel accounts tell us he taught them many things. He spoke to them about the kingdom of God. He met all of their needs. They were a diverse group. They came with many needs. Some came with sicknesses. Perhaps they carried loved ones on stretchers. Others were troubled by fears, terrors, were lost because of the doctrinal error that the Pharisees taught in their day. Jesus met all of these needs. He cared for them body and soul. He healed their sick. He addressed the needs of their sin-sick souls, speaking to them about the gospel and the kingdom of heaven and teaching them many things, feeding them with the true bread of life, which is himself set forth in the word. Compassion. Jesus was tired. But his compassion was tireless. 
That's our Savior. That's our Master. We see it in this snapshot from his ministry. But now apply what we see in this text to his whole life. And you catch a glimpse of the heart of Jesus in everything that he did. Everything. Go to the cross. The climax of his ministry. Supreme demonstration of the love of God. And the compassion of our God. Christ was so moved by our plight, by our lostness and sin and darkness, by our soul sickness, by the fact that we deserve hell for our sins. He was so moved by our plight that he gave himself to the death of the cross and he took that cup of the holy wrath of God and he drank it to the last bitter drop on the cross of Calvary. There is divine love's action taken to help poor sinners in need of salvation and unable to do anything to save themselves. That was his ministry. That was his death. That was everything Christ did. Ministry of compassion for his sheep. The master's ministry of compassion, as we see it here, has much to teach. Christ's servants, his servants. And our text contains rich application to instruct office bearers in the church of Christ. It is a text for a pastor and for elders and for deacons to take most earnest heed unto. This is a a text for us, brother office bearers. Look at the master and his ministry. And there we see the ministry that our ministries must mirror, reflect. Remember that all of the events of this text happen in the presence of Jesus' disciples. Jesus' disciples are with him. As he crossed the Sea of Galilee, as he sees the multitude coming, as he welcomes and receives the multitude, as he teaches them many things, as he heals their sick, and as later that day, because he spends the rest of the day teaching them and healing them, later that day he feeds the 5,000. Jesus' disciples see all of this. They're there. Because Jesus is training them. Three, three and a half years that the disciples had with Jesus on his earthly ministry was their seminary course. Jesus was preparing them to be his apostles that he, after his ascension and after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, would send into the world to bring the gospel to all nations. Jesus was training his office bearers here. Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, was teaching His under-shepherds here. He taught them not only by his words, but also by his conduct. The very ministry of Christ was a lesson for those he would call to be his ministers, his servants, his under-shepherds. 
Remember what Jesus said after he washed his disciples' feet the night he was betrayed? John 13, verse 15. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. It doesn't just apply to that event that night. That applies to the whole ministry of Christ. That applies to this text. As we see Jesus do here. Pastor. Elders. Deacons. So should we do. Among the flock. Where God has placed us. Whether we're a pastor. Whether we're an elder. Whether we're a deacon. We are the servants of Christ. We're not lords, but servants. Called to serve Him. Called in all of our service to abide by the Word of God. And the way that we serve the Master is by serving His people. Serving His sons and His daughters. Serving the precious precious sheep that He has bought with His own blood. And the way that an office bearer serves... Is by being Christ-like in his ministry. That's the whole Christian life, isn't it? To be a Christian is to be Christ-like. To have your whole life, your whole being, conformed to the image and to the likeness of Christ. Well, that applies to office-bearing as well. In the special work given to a pastor proclaiming the gospel. The special work given to elders overseeing the church, ministering to the needs of God's people, bringing admonition to the wayward, to the deacon's work of ministering the mercies of Christ, to the alms, to the poor and the needy. All of that is to be a reflection and an expression of who Christ is and what Christ is like. And that's the tremendous privilege and the honor and the beauty of the special offices in the church is, brothers, we get to reflect Christ to God's people. There's the high calling, and that's why we must depend upon the grace of God and the power of His Spirit, because great danger and great damage can be done when office bearers misrepresent Christ to God's people. But here we see into the heart of Christ, and here we see how we as servants ought to move among and minister to God's people. The ministry of a pastor, of elders and deacons, is many things. One of those things it must be, is a ministry of tender, genuine compassion for God's people. How we deal with God's people, how we react to the needs and the problems of God's people, like Christ here. That is what it must be with compassion moved with deep love so that our hearts go out to herding sheep. So that our hearts go out to that sheep who is trapped in sin and we want to help. We want to help resist the frustration. Sometimes frustration comes easier than compassion because we're sinners with our own problems. Office bearers can see the weaknesses of the sheep, the sins of the sheep. And it's easily, sinfully to just burst out in a moment of frustration. Just shape up. But no. Is that what Christ does? There are many people in that crowd that day that needed to shape up. Had lots of problems. 
Jesus welcomed them. He brought them the word. He taught them patiently. He healed their sick. Even though it took him all day. And then rather than send them home on an empty stomach, he multiplies the bread and fish to fill their stomachs and send them home full. The most important thing was he sent them home full the bread of life. This helps us see in the church how to view the poor, the sick, the problem laden. Not as a burden to the church. Not as a problem to be solved. Though make no mistake, the word of God is meant to be brought into the problems and into the struggles and into the darkness that we have as fallen people. And that word of God is a power to bring about change and to bring about reformation and to bring about healing. Yes, but in the church, the weak, the poor, the oppressed, the hurting, the problem-laden are to be seen as a gift. Christ said, the poor you will always have with you. And that means much more than just the poor who don't have much money, who are in poverty. That was his main point there. But it applies also to those who are poor in other ways. The afflicted, the wounded, the struggling. They'll always be with us. And that's Christ's purpose. Why? So that the ministry of compassion may continue to work in the body of Christ. The ministry of compassion which reflects and which mirrors the heart of Jesus Christ himself. Without the poor, without the wounded, without the sick. We would be deprived of one of the most marvelous demonstrations of the compassion of Christ. Which ought to be in a healthy church. The body comes together. The office bearers minister to help. To console, to comfort. A ministry of compassion. And that compassion when it's practiced and lived in the church, it has powerful effects. It changes lives. It really helps. It builds people up. Because Christ, the compassionate Savior, works through it. So, brother office bearers, let this loom in the front of our minds as we go forward in our work midst of this flock, to see our ministry as a ministry of compassion. Draw strength from the compassion that Christ has shown to us, to you personally, and express that compassion in service to God's people. Another very important application that follows upon the heels of that first one. office bearers and all of us, we have to acknowledge that the master, he alone is the healer of the sick. The text makes that clear. Jesus healed the sick. Not the disciples. Jesus healed 
the sick. Office bearers aren't Jesus. Under shepherds aren't the great shepherd. Only Christ can be Christ. No man is called to be Christ. No man can be Christ. Pastors, elders, and deacons can only be his humble servants. Used by him in his work. And so that points out something very important to us, brother office bearers. Our work simply to bring the word of Christ. Bring it to God's people and address that word of Christ the healer to the needs of the people. And that requires then much wisdom. And we pray for that from the Holy Spirit that we have that wisdom. That's why we must be meditating upon the scriptures and upon the mysteries of the faith so that we may bring a word that's in season and fitting to the needs of the sheep, whether it be comfort, whether it be exhortation, whether it be admonition. But whatever word we bring, compassionately conveying a genuine love as Christ did when he brought the word, even sharply at times. It's still with compassion for his own. Our work is to bring the word. To point to Christ. The healer. And in our work and in our speaking In an admittedly dim way, yet a real way nonetheless, reflect the Christ we point to and whose word we administer. That's our work. Bring the word of Christ. Point to Christ. And that's a comfort, is it not, brother office bearers? We're not Christ. We don't have to be Christ. We mustn't try to be Christ. We're just his servants. We're powerless of ourselves. We're weak. But God is almighty. His word will do its work. You brothers ordained into office tonight. Trust. Trust in Christ and his word. Be faithful in your office. Bring the word. The word will do the work of the Savior. One last application to office bearers. We must remember we too are sick sheep in need of shepherding and healing. We mustn't lose sight of that. That will help us stay humble in our work among the sheep. So that we be not disdainful. Or judgmental towards them. But approach the sheep in all of our work. Approach God's people in all of our work this way. I'm one of you. I'm a sheep too. With sins and struggles. Flaws and failures. And I humbly come alongside you in your struggle. And I bring you the word. Not because I'm better. Not because I'm on a higher plane spiritually. Not because you're beneath me. But because Christ has called me to come alongside you. And to minister this word to you. Not because I'm anything special. Because Christ. Christ is the answer to all of your needs. And I'm simply here to point you to him. To bring you his word. That posture of humility is so necessary for our work, brother office bearers. 
And thus, as we meditate upon the mysteries of the faith and upon the scriptures, let us not cease from confessing our own sins and weaknesses to God and putting our trust in the Christ who is called. In Him is the strength to do the work. He's the only healer. He's the only one that can help the sheep. And likewise, He is the only one who can help us and strengthen us to do the work given to us. Trust Christ. Look to Christ. Finally now, there's wide-ranging application to all of God's people. Just a couple applications to point out. And the first is, as we've walked through Matthew 14, verse 14, Look back and fix your gaze on the heart of Christ your Savior. Beloved, look at Christ. Look at who He is. All sufficient for all of your needs. That's what the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 shows us. Body, soul, He provides it all. He is the one and only complete Savior who meets all of your needs See his compassion as he meets your needs. He'll never tire of your prayers or your going to him. We see that here, don't we? Even as Jesus, in the weakness of his human flesh, not sinful weakness, but the weakness that he had in his human flesh needed rest. He goes into the desert, yet the people come and he doesn't send them away. That's how Jesus deals with each and every one of us, his people He never sends us away, but receives and welcomes and teaches and shepherds and heals. He's a real man, touched with the feeling of your infirmities. He's very God, powerful to help in the best and wisest way. He's all compassionate. Are you sick? Go to the physician. Are you hurt? Go to the compassionate one who gave his life and suffered the greatest hurt on the cross to save you from every hurt. Are you sad? Go to the one who cares and will wipe away your tears one day and who listens to your cries. Are you struggling with sin? Go to the great physician of souls who said, I came not for the righteous, but to call sinners to repentance, not for the whole, but for the sick. Go to Christ. Take refuge in his compassion. As Lamentations 3 verse 22 says, of Jehovah, it's true of Jehovah's salvation. His compassions fail not. But now, it's calling for all of us. If time permitted, we could have a whole sermon on the calling that comes to all of us. The master's ministry of compassion is not just a pattern for ordained servants in the church of Christ, but for all servants. And that's all of us. We're all the servants of Christ. Because there's an office that's even more fundamental than the special offices. And that's the office of all believers. The priesthood of all believers. We are all anointed. A royal priesthood under Christ, our only high priest and our eternal king. We have the unction of the Holy Spirit. We are indwelt by the Spirit. And the Spirit puts us 
in the office of believer makes us priests, ministers of mercy to one another. And a big part of living out salvation, a big part of being a Christian, is exercising a ministry of compassion toward one another. In the body of Christ, in the family, in the neighborhood, in the workplace, with everyone that crosses our path. It's not just pastor, elders, and deacons who are called to mirror the compassionate heart of Christ towards the suffering. It's not just the special office bearers who are called to love in that way, but it's all of us, all of us, as the servants of the Master. We've been redeemed by the compassionate Savior unto a ministry of compassion. So let's think. How can we grow in this wonderful part of the Christian life? How can we show our gratitude to God more fervently for His unfailing compassions to us? How Can we show compassion to each other? Who here can you show compassion to? Who's hurting here? We don't have to leave here to be a good Samaritan. Let's strive to know one another more deeply. Be more open with one another. So that our hearts go out to one another. And our love reacts to the suffering and the cares and the burdens that one another bear. And we may mirror and reflect Christ in his heart to one another. A ministry of compassion that builds up the body of Christ. And makes the church such a wonderful and beautiful place to be in the midst of a dark and brutal world. It's New Year's Day. The world is busy making its resolutions, which so often fall apart within a week or two. Resolutions to eat a better diet, to exercise more, or perhaps resolutions that have a little more to them, to get along better with a spouse or friend or a coworker. We can make a resolution, not in the worldly sense, but out of gratitude to God. Let this be our New Year's resolution. As Christ's people, as servants of the Master, let's grow in Christ-likeness this year. And that that diamond of Christ-likeness, let's look at that facet called compassion, and let's let's polish that facet up and make it gleam and shine all the more brilliantly in our midst. Let's serve our compassionate Savior that way. Compassionately giving of ourselves to one another. Thankfulness to the Master's ministry of compassion to us. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, we thank Thee for Jesus Christ. We thank Thee for this word, which gives us a glimpse of His heart. Our Savior, who doesn't tire of us, whose compassion is tireless, 
who is touched with the feeling of our infirmities, to whom we can always go in our needs. We pray, Father, that Thou wilt cause the office bearers of our congregation more and more to mirror that compassion of Christ. And we pray that as a congregation, as fellow believers, we may grow in our compassion one for another. That in love, we might care for one another and help one another bear the burdens that we each have. And in this way, Father, may our congregation grow as a place of spiritual flourishing and true Christian life. This all we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.